Now, on this Invest Talk podcast, Justin Klein listens to your questions. Starting to learn more about value stocks rather than growth stocks. You guys are saving me a, a lot of money. Looking into Johnson and Johnson, and if you have time, could you just tell a little bit of the difference between Coca-Cola and Johnson and Johnson? And provides unbiased answers. All right. Well, you're looking at historical blue chip names. Both companies have been around many, many decades through many, many different investment cycles and market cycles, economic cycles, and they've endured. Their brands have endured. Uh, their products have endured. Now the question is, should you be buying them? Invest Talk. Over 41 million downloads and counting across America and around the world. Your participation makes it unique. 888-99-CHART. This podcast is produced by KPP Financial. Steve Peasley, President. KPP Financial. Independent thinking, shared success. And now today's podcast. Good afternoon, fellow investors, and welcome back to Invest Talk. This is our May 18th, 2022 edition. I'm Justin Klein, and I'm excited for this hour with you give you unbiased answers to your finance and investment questions. And my goal here is to help you understand the current market environment that we're in, how to try to avoid the pitfalls uh, that a volatile market tends to exacerbate. When the market's going up, the old saying is a rising tide lifts all boats. And even if you are making mistakes, you can still make money because rising asset values are going to benefit most things. But when liquidity becomes more scarce, when the economy is slowing, the mistakes that you make are exacerbated. They are magnified. And that's why you need to have the proper perspective, understand your risk level. And once again, understand the current market environment. If you look at the big picture, demographics around the world are becoming more challenging. Baby boomers are retiring in mass. You have China with a demographic issue that is now reversing, meaning their population is shrinking. And then you have deglobalization, which is reversing the disinflationary force that has been the hallmark of our global economy for the better part of three decades. Just-in-time inventory is no longer the end-all be-all. Resilient supply chains, resilient inventory is more and more crucial as we head into a multipolar world. And then you have ESG, climate concerns, all of those things and reactions have ramifications 
for the global economy, for particular sectors, for the market as a whole. And so being prepared for this shift is vital. Otherwise, you're going to bleed away any gains that you've earned over the past many years. So the root of your decision making will rest on understanding what is in front of you, not the past. You don't drive your car looking through the rearview mirror, do you? You drive your car looking through the windshield and what's out in front of you. And that's same with investing. So as we emerge from the post COVID world, it's important for you to have your feet on the ground, looking at the reality of the situation and investing accordingly, investing for this new market environment. So I'm going to do my best to give you the tools and help drive you towards good decision-making that will provide you with a comfortable financial future. In this podcast, I'm going to operate with my mission statement, which is always independent thinking and shared success. So no matter what I'm talking about, the market as a whole, particular sector, particular strategy, I'm here to present it all without bias, give you the facts as I see them and applying those to 20 plus years of investment experience. So you can call with right now during our live stream program from four to five Pacific time. Or you can leave a question on our Invest Talk voice bank. Either way, the number never changes. It's still 888 chart So let's get right to our first listener question now. Hi, Duncan from New York. Just wanted to leave a quick question. Thank you for all that you do. Starting to learn more about value stocks rather than growth stocks. You guys are saving me a, a lot of money. Looking into Johnson & Johnson, company that makes money, just looking for an entry point to and if you have time, could you just tell a little bit of the difference between Coca-Cola and Johnson & Johnson? But uh, thank you very much, and have a great day. Bye. All right. Well, you're looking at historical blue-chip names. Both companies have been around many, many decades through many, many different investment cycles and market cycles, economic cycles, and they've endured. Their brands have endured. Their business models have endured. Uh, their products have endured. Now, the question is, should you be buying them in this environment? Sure, they're not growth stocks, they're blue chip stocks, but are they cheap enough? Well, Coke had a big down day. A lot of it had to do with consumer staples as a whole, struggling because of what happened with uh, Target, Walmart recently, and that's taken on the chin. The issue, though, uh, is I think a lot of people have huddled into, quote unquote, low volatility ETFs and buying a lot of these companies that are typically lower volatility, like Coke and Johnson and Johnson. And they're both trading at now at pretty high multiples, historically. So I would say both of these companies are expensive, but they're very different, right? Johnson Johnson is healthcare very, uh, both are, are non-cyclical, but different types of businesses. Now, which one am I picking? Well, enterprise value to EBITDA on Johnson & Johnson is about 16 and a half. Historically, it's not cheap until it gets to low teens. 
13 or so. Now it's at 16 and a half. So it's not quite there yet. Okay. So that makes me say, be patient on it, probably another 10 to 20% to lower on Johnson and Johnson. And that would put the price closer to the lows from earlier this year, right around 150, 150, 155, that area. I think that's reasonable valuation on Coke. If you look at what's happening there, that's trading at even higher multiples. Uh, enterprise value to EBITDA is 20. And historically, that's also um, fairly high. It doesn't get cheap until you get into the, the mid-teens. Uh, and you see that big drop today. Uh, so I'd be patient on both, but I think Coke, or sorry, Johnson Johnson is closer to a buy point than Coke. This is Invest Talk. We're moving into a break, and I'm ready for your questions now at 888 chart Why do listener questions make Invest Talk better? Which of these would you recommend? Because each caller presents fresh questions in their voice. I was curious if you still think aluminum has a ways to go from here. When do I know the right time to take profits? Should I be looking for an exit? Should I be holding here? And listeners instinctively realize that Invest Talk uniquely offers a welcome dose of investing satisfaction. I think you have a terrific show, and I've learned a whole lot. Hey, guys, love your show. Uh, I've been listening for several years now, and I've learned a lot. Justin Klein and Steve Peasley understand what investors need and want. I would look at it from a tax perspective. If there's no tax implications, move on, find better ways to use that money. I'm going with the odds. I think a half position now would at least get you in it and get you watching it so you won't lose track of it. Don't forget to call Investor 888-99-CHART. One of the most rewarding things I do each weekday is host the Invest Talk podcast. I truly enjoy helping investors, and I know that every question counts and every answer I provide will be unbiased. So as long as your questions involve the stock market or general investment topics and definitions, we set no limits. You, the caller, get to chart the course for each Invest Talk podcast. Justin and I are ready. Are you? Call with your questions anytime, day or night, 888-99-CHART. Now, my focus point today is based on this question. What's behind the crypto sell-off? And the fear factor is pretty high right now in the crypto markets. But most newer investors have actually lost money now. Not a shock, similar to the ARK funds, right, where everyone chases returns. Um, it's turned bad for a lot of newer investors. So we're going to look into that story and then look at early stage tech startups and VC investors and what's now changed over the past few months in regards to those type of companies, where are layoffs going to be concentrated? How might that affect the broader market and valuations as a whole? Also SPACs, member SPACs and them being this hot topic, hot uh, investment theme just uh, a year ago. Well, that's shifting. And there's a lot of money sitting there waiting to be deployed in the in the SPAC space. And it'll be uh, I want to look at that story. So it gives you a sense of, uh, you know, what kind of dry powder is out there to buy those private companies. And then lastly, 
how does how much has the how much economic weakness has the market priced in already? So we're going to look at that as well. But let's take a look at the market today. We had a bloody bloody day. Uh, we had a, a rebound over the past few trading days off of uh, a pretty hectic low just uh, back on what day was that? Is that Thursday? Yeah, Thursday was kind of the, the reversal. Friday, you had some follow through, pause day on Monday, and then more upside yesterday. And almost all of that, yep, all of those last three days of trading have been reversed. And we're basically back to where we were, at least on the S&P, uh, at the close on Thursday. And you can just see that volatility. Uh, that, remember, volatility on the downside is a lot swifter. Uh, and... It continues to be a rotation out of value, sorry, out of growth and into value. For example, today, large cap growth down 5%, 5.13. Large cap value only down about a little over 3%. So you can see that stark difference continue bleeding out of those large cap tech names. Now, we are an option X week. And you often see this type of volatility. A lot of games being played. Uh, there's what is called max pain on option dealers, where these option dealers they try to push the market around so that when positions expire, those who are short the positions profit the most. And so there's a lot of games that are played there. So odds are good we're going to stay around the 4,000 uh, mark on the S&P for the rest of the, the week. Right now we close at 39.23, so you know some choppiness is, is probably likely for the, the next uh, couple of days. And then going into the final uh, week of the month, you're likely to have equity buying due to rebalancing within uh, funds that when equities are underperforming, end of the month, they, they buy a little bit uh, in order to up their allocation and vice versa. When equity is doing well, they tend to sell going into the end of the month and vice versa. So you typically get that action into month end. Now, oh, there's still a lot of fear. There's a lot of cash on on uh, in brokerage accounts. And a lot of, I think, what you're seeing is spillover from crypto that feeds into tech stocks because most people own tech, own, uh, or own crypto, own tech stocks. That feeds into downside market activity. Uh, and, and, and dealer hedging and, and things like that, that, that certainly drive near-term volatility. So that's what you're seeing overall. The earnings picture, at least for the first quarter, was pretty good for the most part. Uh, so when you, when you look at that backdrop, you'd say a balance is probably more likely over the next four to six weeks. But technicals are still in downtrend overall for most sectors. Not all sectors, but most sectors. 8899 chart, 8899 is how you get through and ask your question on today's show. Now, we have good news for Invest Talk listeners that enjoy hearing unbiased answers to caller questions at a faster pace. We have a all-new April Rapid Fire Hour with 30 questions in a row. It's available for free download over at iTunes, Spotify, or Google Play, as well as investtalk.com. So please tell your friends about the Invest Talk Rapid Fire Hour podcast. And now... The phone lines are open for you at 888-99-CHART. Invest Talk is always made better when our listeners contribute their questions. 
So tell your friends and family members they can interact in real time with Steve Peasley and Justin Klein during the Invest Talk live stream program between 4 and 5 p.m. Pacific Time. Or they can leave their questions anytime 24 7 in the Invest Talk voice bank. Remember, for live or recorded questions, the number never changes. 888-99-CHART. And my focus point today is based on this question, what's behind the crypto sell-off? And if you look at the numbers, 40% of Bitcoin investors are now underwater on their investments. 40. Think about that. Think about how much crypto or Bitcoin's gone up over the past decade, and then realize that almost half of them, of the investors that have, that have bought Bitcoin are underwater, are losing money. Now, it still has the largest market cap in the space, but it's lost over half its value in just span of a few weeks. November was at 69000 Now we're hanging right around 29000 and what's I think most shocking to people within that industry, not to me though, is that it's very highly correlated to high growth tech stocks. And the whole idea was always, oh, this is a non-correlated asset. The problem is, is that when everybody is crowded into the same trades and their portfolios look broadly similar, you have a snowball effect. What happened with Terra USD and breaking the buck there, the algorithmic stablecoin backed by nothing more than an algorithm, uh, and you start to see those within that space dump uh, Luna, which is its associated coin, uh, and then the uh, holders uh, that, that are backed by um, Terra, uh, they've dumped a ton of Bitcoin about, I think it was, what was the data? Something like $30, $30 billion worth. And so there's contagion effect there to where losses in one portfolio start to feed into selling of other assets like Bitcoin. And then people that are leveraged have to cover and delever themselves. And sometimes they sell other crypto. Sometimes they sell other things that they have to sell, to meet margin requirements. And oftentimes that stock in Amazon or in Netflix or in Facebook, you pick the high-flying tech stock that's now down 50, 60, 70%, a lot of the people that owned or do own those names also own a lot of crypto. So when volatility, and this is the lesson here, the lesson is when volatility increases, correlations increase. Remember that. When volatility increases, correlations increase. Because, once again, margin calls doesn't matter whether you want to sell it oftentimes markets move because things have to be sold or have to be bought one of the reasons why these companies these large 
tech companies became so big in market cap is because people indexing and it was kind of a self-fulfilling uh, feedback mechanism where as they went up in value and they become a bigger part of the indices and more money put people put more money in the indices, well, more of the, each dollar is going to be put towards those bigger names and they continue to go up and up and up and they get bigger each and every day as more money flows into the indices. So it's reflexive in that way. But now what's happening is it's reflexive the other way. Meaning as people take money out of the indices, those are the names that actually get sold the most. Works the other way. So remember, reflexivity works in both directions. All right. Let's go to Jason in Chicago looking at NCLH, which is Norwegian Cruise Lines. Yes. Hi, Justin. How are you? Doing well. What are you? Why are you? Why are you thinking about Norwegian? Um, <clears throat> it's something I've been watching for quite a while, and I was just calling to get your opinion on um, is now a good time to start investing into the travel sector. Um, I like Norwegian Cruise Lines. I've been watching them for quite a while. Um, they seem to be pretty low priced. I know they're not selling at a hundred percent capacity yet. Mm-hmm. But uh, I mean, myself included, I have a cruise scheduled in the fall, and um, I just think people are ready to go out and start enjoying life again. Um, do you think it's a good time to invest in that sector? Well, I do. I do like the sector overall. The issue in general is with cruise lines is yes, people want to get out, but are they going to start with a cruise? Uh, is that their first thing out? Probably not. And I think it's going to take a while for a lot of travelers to really get excited about cruising. Uh, So I think it's kind of a long slog uh, for these type of companies. And then you have economy weakening a bit. So less money in their brokerage accounts in order to cash out and go uh, on a cruise, for example. And so and, and, and then you have the technical backdrop. It's pretty packed. Uh, so the, to me, this looks like it's headed back to pandemic lows around eight bucks. At eight bucks, seems you know I, I think it's a good longer term bet. You, but you're going to have to deal with the volatility. So right now, I would not be buying it. I think it's a good one to have on your watch list, though. Thanks for the call. We're heading into a break, so give me a call. This is Invest Talk at eight 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 ninety nine chart. Let's say you've been thinking about learning a new language. Okay. Why? I mean, how would it come in handy? And where would you want to use it? Could it be that you have an upcoming international trip? Or maybe you want to connect with family members or friends from a different culture? I think you should know about Rosetta Stone. With millions of users, it's been the world's most trusted language learning program for 30 years. Rosetta Stone is available on your desktop or as an app with audio companion and the ability to download lessons offline. Rosetta Stone truly immerses you in the language you want to learn. It has a built-in, patented speech recognition engine called True Accent. So as you practice speaking, you'll get feedback on how well you pronounce words. With Rosetta Stone, you pick up a language naturally, first with words, then phrases, then sentences. It's an intuitive process designed for long-term retention. You really learn to speak, listen, and think 
in your new language. Rosetta Stone is an amazing value, so your special skill set is within easy reach. You know you want to do this, so don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, InvestTalk listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com today. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off now at rosettastone.com today. At this point, I think almost everyone has heard how generative AI promises to bring us to the next industrial revolution. AI is already shaping society with an impact on daily life that echoes the transformative significance of electricity or the internet. As we take steps to embrace the potential of generative AI, we need to remain vigilant with regard to its exploitability. This is where HackerOne comes in. HackerOne's AI Red Team addresses the novel challenges of AI safety and security for businesses that are launching new AI deployments. The HackerOne approach involves targeted offensive testing by harnessing the collective skills of ethical hackers who are proficient in AI and prompt hacking. In short, AI red teaming is the practice of stress testing AI models and deployments to make sure they can't be tricked into providing information beyond their intended use, and that security flaws can't be exploited to access confidential data or systems. HackerOne seamlessly integrates with your existing tools to enhance communication and collaboration across development, security, and IT teams. So, stay ahead of the game in the battle against cyber threats with HackerOne's Attack Resistance Platform. Learn more at HackerOne.com. That's H-A-C-K-E-R-O-N-E.com. HackerOne.com. Have you heard about Riskalyze? It's a brief question and answer form that you fill out online. Steve Peasley and Justin Klein will also get a copy of your responses. They can use the Riskalyze results to help you formulate a strategy that fits your investing risk tolerance. Learn more anytime and take the Riskalyze quiz at investtalk.com. Hello, Steve and Justin. This is Sean from Anaheim again. I just wanted to say thank you. You have a great podcast. And I had a couple questions that are tied together. I've been unloading some stocks with the intention of repurchasing them, sort of doing some loss harvesting. And one of those stocks that I got rid of, and now it seems like it's at a better entry point, is P-O-A-H-Y, Porsche. And I'm interested in what you guys feel is a good entry point and your analysis on this uh, particular stock. Again, that's Porsche, P-O-A-H-Y. Thank you. All right, this is Porsche, Porsche, if you want to say it correctly. Uh, I, I, I know that because I had one and I said Porsche and I was corrected many times. <laughs> um, but this is basically more of a play, though, on Volkswagen. And, it, you know, so you're getting exposure... I think in a cheaper way. Um, so I think if you want to buy Volkswagen, it's actually probably better to buy Porsche um, because the valuation multiples are a lot better. And 
so long term, I like it because I like Volkswagen and their ability to pivot and, and earn a profit and their historical uh, expertise at producing all types of cars, uh, but being ahead of the traditional ones in electric vehicles. And they have the scale to make a difficult, uh, a difficult transition doable. Uh, and they're doing that. So I like what you're talking about. Uh, now, I would just simply use the technicals here because the technicals near term look very poor. The next big support level is honestly around $6.59. Now we're at $7.43. So you're still talking about 30% lower from here. That's where I'd pick it up. $5, $6 and call it 60 cents. Thanks for the call. Now let's touch a bit on the tech industry as a whole, not just public tech, because that's less interesting to me. It's private tech. And this is where most of the misallocation of capital has been concentrated. And a lot of high-flying tech startups are now getting grounded very fast. It's a new climate with higher interest rates, higher inflation. You're having more layoffs. Investors are a lot more skeptical and valuations are coming down in a big, big way. Now we know the NASDAQ is down about 25% from its high in November, but this that, that's being echoed in magnitudes in the private market. Now venture capitalists are now rebuking high sky valuations. They're demanding companies spend less and improve their margins. Crazy, right? Refocusing on profitability over growth. Remember, it was all about growth, not about profitability. And this is getting these, these, uh, these small private companies to start laying off people, cut marketing expenses, cancel projects. They're trying to make their money last. And really what this is, it's the cycle. It's the end of this cycle. And frankly, this is a good thing. This is cleansing. And it's, it's putting these companies that have gotten funding back on a more sustainable path because growth at the expense of profitability is not sustainable. And so these companies are looking for smaller rounds, rounds typically from inside investors. And they're being, they're, they're hiring less people because they don't need to grow as fast. Before it was, there was pressure just to grow. Now investors poured $1.3 trillion into startups over the last decade. And many quote unquote unicorns based on their valuation, but doesn't mean that they deserve those valuations. Venture capital funds raised $132 billion to invest in startups last year. That was double the amount from 2019 and six times the total raised a decade ago. But, and back then the number of funds are about a third of what it is today. So there's a lot more funds, a lot more money chasing after these companies, and many of them got to absurd valuations. Software company startups, many of them reached 100 times 
annual recurring revenue. Think about that, 100 times. The norm historically is about 10 times. So you're about 10x the multiple that these companies typically get. And what was most interesting is that this not small, you know, venture capital started with smaller, wealthy people that were good and smart in business and knew how to deploy the capital well and find the right uh, entrepreneurs, the right uh, leaders, and they bet on the people and he, he earned huge returns. But that has slowly moved up into very large funds. And those, they call them crossover funds. And these are money managers that invest both in stocks and the public market, as well as private companies. And they count for 70% of the dollars raised last year. So it's not this opaque market anymore. In the first three months of this year, though, crossover funds investment sank to the lowest level in six quarters. And what was the biggest one? SoftBank as well as what is called Tiger Global, which is down 45% this year. All in all, venture capital investments fell 26% in this first three months of, of this year from the fourth quarter of last year. So quarter over quarter. So sentiment in the Valley is very negative and this is leading to layoffs. And this is where I think you're gonna, you're gonna double whammy. The real estate market in Silicon Valley is about to take a big hit because there's not cash outs from equity options that you're getting to buy houses for cash. There's layoffs, there's people moving out that still have a job and working remotely. All of these things, I think Silicon Valley is in for a rough time over the next few years. Let's go to Nick and Hayward, talk about P ratios. Yeah, hi, Justin. Uh, I wanna ask you, uh, it's a great show you have. Uh, thank you very much. How do you know when a stock is cheap enough? It's not just a P.E. ratio, I'm sure. No. Because no. some P.E. ratios are single digits, some are double digits, as you know. Can mm -hmm. you explain something, please? Thank you. Well, sure. Well, you're never, there's never one figure, okay? Anybody that says you just use one this one metric and that's all you need, doesn't know what they're talking about. There's there's always multiple metrics. Now, it's also when you're analyzing the numbers, you want to look at them in relative terms, not just absolute terms. You might say, you know, AP ratio. Oh, that sounds cheap. That's low. Well, does historically just stay around an AP ratio? What if it vacillates between six and a 10 P ratio instead of eight? your upside is that multiple to expand to 10. That's not great. Okay, so understanding where it historically trades at and where it's trading at today is important. But you probably don't want to use P either. You want to use something that is less manipulated. The E is always be manipulated via accounting rules. And the P is just looking at the market cap. Well, what about debt? That is important as well. How much debt does the company have? So that's why we like to look at enterprise value to cash flow, to EBITDA, things like that. Okay. I think those are better metrics that you want to use. And once again, comparing it to where it trades historically. 
And then versus its peers, you want to look within the industry, similar type of companies. Are they, are, are companies, you know, companies in this industry, are they typically trading at 25 times enterprise value to EBITDA? Or is it closer to 10 times? Because that's very important as well. 25 times might be cheap compared to how the industry typically trades. And you want to go through different cycles, you know, 10 plus years looking at those figures. And then you want to look at the durability and growth of the business. Now, has their business improved recently or deteriorated? Do you have faith that their business is going to endure for the next five, 10 years? Or do you see threats on the horizon? I'll give you an example. Visa and MasterCard. I think they trade it pretty high premiums. Well, what has emerged over the past decade or so? Cryptocurrencies, easier ways to transfer money, Venmo, Zelle, things like that. And not to say MasterCard Visa haven't grown, but do they deserve the multiple? When over the last decade, you know, they didn't have as much of that threat. These are things to think about. Now, it could be wrong, but that's the way I think about whether a company should be trading at the same multiple that it had been in the past. Okay. So once again, there's multiple factors you have to consider. I know everybody wants this magic formula. Well, guess what? There's not a magic formula for knowing exactly when things are very or not. It's looking at things in relation and then understanding the backdrop. You can see, find something that's very cheap, but if, Hey, it's a cyclical name and the economy is slowing, it can continue to get cheaper. And so you want to line up that inflection point of the economic backdrop that starts to help the businesses, or the business you're looking at, and something that is ideally a reasonable value. And that's what good quality management is about. Putting the odds in your favor. When you buy things that are very expensive, without, you know, just because you're buying, bought into the story and the hopes and dreams of what the company could be, well, you get times like this where multiples come down and, hey, you bought it at absurd multiples and now it's coming down to reality. Okay. So it's really about having that discipline. And if you're having trouble building that discipline, if you need to know whether your portfolio is on the right track for the economic backdrop that we're in, that I talked about at the top of the show, right? The demographic changes, deglobalization, ESG, all of these things that are driving newer trends that many are not used to. Well, I encourage you to reach out to myself or CP Peasley at our company, KPP Financial, where we operate with the same philosophy as we do on this show, which is independent thinking and shared success. We want to bring you along in our success. And it's where we practice parallel investing, meaning we invest right alongside our clients. So if you want to take advantage of our free portfolio review assessment via telephone or go to meetings, just send us a message to investtalk.com or call our office at 800 557 
888-526-5461. We'd love to help you in any way. Next up, we will get back to the Invest Talk Voice Bank, so hang on. The Invest Talk Voice Bank never closes. I have a question for you about Amazon. So your questions keep coming. Question about PE ratios. And that's okay because Steve Peasley and Justin Klein specialize in unbiased guidance. If I'm looking at a dividend company, I'm looking for consistency of earnings and dividends. Your standard daily chart typically goes back one year. Steve and Justin are fearless, so don't forget to call Invest Talk. 888-99-CHART. Hi, my name is Brayton. I was just calling. Uh, thank you guys for the show. Uh, to do an amazing job. I just had a question about a stock. Uh, it's called Wellpower, W-E-L-L-T-O-W-E-R, and the ticker is W-E-L-L. I know it's a REIT. Uh, I was just wondering if it's a uh, LLP or a LLC or if you get a K-1 for it. But this is financial show. Thank you. Are right, looking at Welltower, and no, this is a REIT, and you don't get a K-1 with a REIT. You get a K-1 with a limited partnership, so a master limited partnership. Typically, those are companies that own distribution infrastructure for oil and gas. That's typically what an MLP does. There are some other types, but that's typically what they are. Now, this is a REIT, a real estate investment trust. And one thing you do have to understand, you're not filing a K-1, but your dividends are not qualified. And what does qualified mean? It means that it's qualified for your uh, longer term capital gains rate, dividend rate, right? 15, 20%. Uh, you're taxed as your ordinary income, all that income that you're getting from the REIT. Now, the good thing is that unlike MLPs, which have K1s, and, and if you hold them within an IRA or a 401k, that can cause some kind of tax complexity that isn't fun. You can hold a REIT in an IRA or 401k. And because those are vehicles that only have tax implications when you take the money out, they're actually kind of nice to hold within, once again, those 401ks and IRAs. So that's the difference between MLPs and REITs. Now this is Welltower. This is a healthcare REIT and they focus on they own senior housing, medical offices, skilled nursing facilities, et cetera. They have, uh, they have pro- uh, properties in Canada as well as the UK. Uh, and they're actually one of the better run healthcare REITs out there. So if I'm picking one healthcare REIT uh, in the marketplace, this is probably the one. Question is, do you want to own healthcare REIT? That's not the question. This is Invest Talk. I'm Justin Klein, and we have one goal here is to help you achieve your own version of financial freedom. And our work continues after this final break. So give me a call at 888 99Chart. You are listening to Invest Talk. Every Friday on the program and the podcast, Steve Peasley shares highlights from the newest edition of the KPP Premium Newsletter. Listen Fridays to Invest Talk. And now, Steve and Justin welcome your calls and questions. 888 99Chart. Hi, Steve or Justin. I called, uh, I think back in January, about Chimera Investment CIM. I thought it would be a good play in a rising interest rate environment, but Justin kindly informed me that really you want to be aware of the spread of interest rates, and that wasn't looking good for this company. So I sold it back at like 1350 and now it's down approaching $9, but I've kept it on my watch list, and I'm wondering, it might be a good play when interest rates have peaked, whenever that happens. I was wondering if you could tell me how I might know when interest rates have peaked, so that maybe I can get back into this. It seems like a 
solid company with a good dividend. So I would appreciate hearing your thoughts on the show. Thanks so much. All right, great question. And I'm glad I helped save you from some losses there. Now down another, what, uh, 40% from where you sold it. But you're correct that what you're looking at was a mortgage REIT. Uh, now, mortgage REITs typically are bad long-term investments. They, they, they loop you in with uh, high, uh, high returns, high uh, dividends, but they're paying those dividends up out of your capital. They're issuing more shares. They're taking on leverage. They're, they're just not great allocators of capital, capital typically. So I wouldn't say... I would get excited about investing in these long term. Now, for a bounce, if it, when interest rates do peak, sure. Uh, if you want to use that as, as a vehicle, uh, a leveraged vehicle in that sense, sure. Uh, now, how do you know when interest rates have peaked? Well, depends on what type of interest rates you're talking about. The interest rates, what part of the curve are you speaking about? Now, in the mortgage rates, what's most important are those shorter term rates. Okay, because that's typically what they're borrowing at. They're like a bank where they're borrowing short, they're lending long in the mortgage market. And so that's that spread that we're talking about. And so what's most important for these type of names is short term rates. So I look at SHY and what's interesting here, and you can just look at the chart of SHY and CIM, they're very similar. CIM peaked in November. And that's really when SHY really started to accelerate to the downside, uh, which means that when short-term rates were going up the fastest. Now, what's interesting is that over the past two weeks or so, the SHY started to catch a bid and is starting to make a series of higher highs and higher lows on a very short-term basis. Certainly hasn't broken any major trends. But it is starting to indicate that, hey, the Fed is going to pivot. Remember, the short-term rates, these short-term rates are most correlated with Fed monetary policy, Fed prognostication about their future interest rate moves. And the fact that this is starting to go up means that short-term rates are starting to stall out here lose their momentum to the upside. And it's the first indicator to me that interest rates may be close on the short end for peaking. Now, longer term rates, a lot of it has to do with other factors, inflation, uh, Fed asset purchases, but shorter term rates have more to do with Fed moving interest rates up and down, less to do with their, their balance sheet movement. And then the dollar is also kind of stalled out here. And that's another indicator that maybe we're getting close to the end of the tightening cycle. Not to say they're not going to tighten more, but their, uh, their forward guidance isn't going to be as hawkish going forward. Okay. Now, lastly, let's go to talk about SPACs a little bit. And what's interesting here is between now and the beginning of next year, first quarter of next year, there's about 280 SPACs that face deadlines to make some sort of acquisition. Now, these are special purpose acquisition uh, companies, and they there were a litany of them over the past couple of years that went public. And most of them, 90% of them, are below their SPAC price. Crazy, right? 90%. Nuts. And what this means is that these are bad investment vehicles. Historically, they've been bad investment vehicles. But when there's so much liquidity out there, money just flows into anything. And many of these 
companies made acquisitions at very high prices for their acquisition target. And they're just destroyers of capital. But these sponsors have spent millions of dollars and lawyers and things like that, and it costs them between five and $10 million to get these SPACs public through the underwriting, etc. And these are at risk of being a complete loss if by the by the cost of the the the, uh, the sponsor the underwriter and so you're gonna see a lot of bad deals you're gonna see a lot of desperate desperate deals because part of a crappy deal is better than zero percent of no deal right and losing out on the entire uh, cost of going public so you're gonna see this is uh, gonna be an interesting trend what happens here and I definitely think uh, you're gonna see more carnage in the SPAC space I'm Justin Klein. This completes another Invest Talk program. Steve Peasley and I thank you for listening. We encourage you to tell your friends and family about our free podcast downloads, which you can find anytime at iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, and be sure to rate and review. Independent thinking, share success. This is Invest Talk. Good night. Because of the nature of the interactive dialogue inherent in the format of this program, it's important for the listener to understand that not all comments made will apply to them specifically. Nothing said shall be taken to be investment advice or shall statements on this program be considered an offer to buy or sell securities. Such advice is rendered solely on an individual basis and at times will require that the investor review a prospectus before investing. InvestTalk is a copyrighted program of Klein Pavlis Peasley Financial, a registered investment advisor. 